Our scripture for today is from John chapter 12, beginning in verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. I am very excited to be here this morning. I've been really blessed just by going into the series. And I'll be honest with you, it was very hard for me to choose like which of Jesus's teachings I would be preaching about today. And when Caleb asked me, I was like hoping that he would tell me what he wanted me to preach on because it was so hard for me to choose. Um, And then when I did decide what it was going to be, I felt like I wrestled a lot with it because I heard God saying, I want you to preach on light and darkness. And I was thinking to myself, you know, God, it's summer, and I'm a guest speaker. Why don't I just preach on light? Like, wouldn't that make everybody feel better? And I heard him saying, no. In order to understand the light, you have to first understand the darkness. And after everything that's been going on in our world, today, talking about light and darkness, it all makes sense. So I'm excited to be here again this morning. Um, But before we even get into it, I wanted to tell you about these two definitions that I think is very important in the series, but in general. Every time we hear someone preaching up front, every time we sit in front of our Bibles, I want us to think about these two definitions. The first one I kind of came up with when I was looking into the series and figuring out what I was going to preach about. I noticed that Jesus did something every time he taught somebody something. He would take a complex idea or concept And he would make it simple for people to understand and remember. Not just to understand it and explain it in a way that they could get it, but also to remember it for when they needed it, for when it was time for them to actually apply it to their lives. So I wanted us to think about that. That first definition, teach, that's how Jesus wants us to understand our relationship with him when we sit here on Sundays. 
He's teaching us. He wants to take something complex, make it simple so that we can understand and remember it. The second definition, lucky for me, I didn't have to think up on my own. It's actually found in Hebrews 11.1, which is faith. And Hebrews 11.1 says faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. So even though everything around us may seem dark, scary, confusing, Jesus reminds us to have hope. That even in the midst of everything going on, we can have faith that Jesus' promise will come true. So as we go into this entire text, which I know I picked a lot, I want us to think about that. That Jesus wants to teach us. And he wants us to have the faith to actually live this out. So please join me in prayer before we go into the scripture. God, I want to thank you for gathering us all together. We realize it's a privilege to be here. That we get to learn firsthand from our rabbi, Jesus, our teacher. We're coming to you today for truth. We're coming to you today to transform us, to change our hearts, to make us new. We can't do that, Lord, without you teaching us. So we ask that the Holy Spirit come in this moment and prepare our hearts for the word that you have. Take this complex idea of of light and darkness and make it simple. Simple enough for us to understand and remember. And God, we pray for the faith to live it out. Not just to keep it here in the four walls of the church, Lord God, but take it further because that's what the church is. It's not a place, it's a people. It's a body. And we ask, Jesus, that you be glorified as we look into your word and know more about what you want us to be. We thank you in advance, Lord, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What I love about the Gospels is that every time you read something about Jesus, you find out that Jesus is a relational God. Jesus is not a God that's just up in heaven, you know, looking down. Jesus is actually human. He was here on earth with people, having relationship with them. And that, to me, is one of the most powerful things about Jesus. That even though he had a mission to save us from sin and darkness, he still took time to have relationship, to be with people. And right before this chapter, we're in chapter 12, chapter 11 displays one of the most beautiful relationships I've seen Jesus have. He has this relationship with three siblings, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Jesus is not where the siblings were at the time, but Mary and Martha sent a word to Jesus and said to Jesus, the one you love, talking about Lazarus, is sick. And Jesus knew what that meant. If Mary and Martha sent him a word, that meant that most likely he was not doing well. And scripture says that Jesus loved Lazarus. But still, he stayed where he, uh, he was for three days, three whole days. And finally, he got up, and he told the disciples that we're going to go to Judea. That's where Lazarus was. And they told him, are you sure you want to go there? Because the last time you were there, people were going to stone you to death. And basically, he says this, which I think is remarkable. And this is the Demetra Barrios version. So he says, lucky for you, I wasn't there. Because to me, he loved Lazarus so much. That if he was there in that moment, I don't know if he could have saw him go through the pain and suffering that he was going through. Because he was Jesus. And Jesus loved people. 
And I know that he loved Lazarus and he wanted to heal him and help him. But he said, lucky for you, I wasn't there. This is happening so that you may believe. Because what Jesus does next is miraculous. Jesus takes his disciples. He's on his way to go see Lazarus. But before he could even get there, his sister, whom I love, Martha, runs out to him. And she says, like, you know, Rabbi, if you were here, this would have never happened. And Jesus gives her a word of encouragement. And he says, he will live again. Before he even goes to the house to talk to Lazarus, he wants to talk to Mary, who is the other sibling. And he tells Martha, like, where's Mary? She goes back and she gets him. And get this, Jesus doesn't go back with Martha. He stays there and he waits for Mary. Why? Because he wanted a relationship with her. He wanted it to be intimate. He wanted her to know that he cared about her. So he waited there to have that intimate time with her. But while Mary was going there, two people that saw her weeping ended up going with her because they were worried about her. Her brother passed away. She wasn't doing well. So he didn't get the time to have with her one-on-one. But Mary just ran to him, scripture says, and fell to his feet and worshiped him. And they had that moment. And it's in that moment that I think the other people realized, like, oh, this is... This is something intimate. This is something that Mary needed. And scripture says that they go back to the house and Jesus weeps. He weeps because he sees the people that he loves hurting because he's a relational God. And what he does is he tells Lazarus, come out. And all of a sudden Lazarus is raised from the dead. He has life in him. He's doing things like a regular person. And scripture says that people got so excited about this that they started to tell other people. And that what happened is the Pharisees, the people who were against Jesus, started hearing about it. And the Sanhedrin, those were more people who were against Jesus. And the chief priests, and all these people got together, these chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. And they started talking about how Jesus is causing trouble because he's raising people to life. And they didn't like that. So not only were they mad at Jesus, they were mad at Lazarus. The Gospel of John says that they plotted to kill them both. All because Jesus was giving them signs that he was the Messiah. But even though on one side so many people are so angry and perhaps living in the dark... There were another group of people who were so alive by this that when it was time for Jesus to go to Jerusalem, these people got palm branches. I'm pretty sure the story sounds familiar. And they started waving them. And Jesus arrived on a donkey. And all of a sudden, scripture is fulfilled. The Messiah is coming in. And people are worshiping him. And they're believing him and his truth. So much, and here we are in chapter 12, that these two Greek men come to see Jesus. Now, I don't know if you remember this in the book of Matthew, the Great Commission. But Jesus tells them at the end, when he was already crucified, that they are to go out and baptize all nations. But before that, Jesus only sent his disciples to talk to the Jews, to the lost sheep of Israel. He didn't tell them to talk to the Gentiles, who would be the Greeks and everyone who was not Jewish. So the fact that two Greek people came to see Jesus, that says a lot. And all of a sudden, it doesn't say scripture. It doesn't say whether Jesus spoke to them, whether he had a dialogue with them. All we know is he starts preaching. He starts talking. He goes on to this discourse, and he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man 
to be glorified. So if you're thinking, why would he start talking about the son of man to be glorified? Every time Jesus talks about his glorification, he's talking about his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. And all of a sudden, he sees these two Greek men, and he remembers his mission because Jesus is relational. He's building relationships with people, but all of a sudden, he remembers his mission. Just like that. He remembered those people that he had to die for in order to save. So he says this almost like a parable about this kernel of wheat. And basically, if this kernel, this seed, right, if it stays just the one, it'll only be a single seed. But if he plants it in water, it will grow and it will have life and it will make multiples. So what Jesus is saying in this particular part of scripture is that if he dies, then he can bring more people to life. And we look at that and we think, well, that's just not what we want. But Jesus is giving us a principle here, whether we like it or not, that if he dies, then we all have the opportunity to have life. And he says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will have it for eternal life. So he's telling them something here. And we're going to go through that a little bit more. But I want you to think about that. Jesus is using strong words like love and hate in your life in this world. And he's explaining something to them. That if you want to follow me, then you have to hate your life. And I want you to notice something. He didn't say hate yourself. That's not what he said. He said, hate your life and what this world promises by the standards it promises it by. He said, hate that part. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am going, my servant will also be. My father will glorify the name of the person who serves me. Now, what Jesus is talking about here has to do with eternity. That even though there's so much stuff that's going on in our world, if you've served me, if you called me Lord of your life, Jesus is saying, you get to follow me where I go. So even though all this may be too hard to understand, my father will glorify you because you have glorified my name. So he continues to make this parallel and we see it. And then he starts to talk even more. You start to see it happening. He's talking about his death when he says, well, what shall I say? Now my soul is troubled. Save me from this hour? No. It's for this very reason I came for this hour. Father, glorify your name. So no matter how much trouble he's thinking about facing on the cross, he's still saying, glorify your name. And I think this pleased the Father so much that he came and spoke. This is not a vision. Scripture says that God spoke from heaven and says that I have glorified your name and I will glorify it again. He was looking toward the cross. Jesus was already there. And what he was doing was trying to help other people come along with him. Could you imagine what that was like hearing that as a disciple? That his soul was troubled. Your teacher, your rabbi, Jesus, that's the humanity of your savior. He was troubled. But he still said, Father, glorify your name. And people heard the voice of God. And some of them said, hey, that sounds like thunder. I wonder if those were the people living in the dark. And there was another group of people and they said, oh, this sounds like the voice of an angel. And I wonder if those were the people living in light. And Jesus said, that voice that you heard, it wasn't for my benefit. I know the father, that was for your benefit. And now 
that he's focusing on the cross. He says, now is the time for this world to have its judgment. Now the prince of this world can be driven out. And when I am lifted up, I'm going to draw all people unto me. What power is that? Jesus is saying that his death on the cross, the thing that we would think would be final, is not only going to bring judgment, but the evil, the darkness, all the things that we're afraid of. Jesus said it's going to be driven out. It's going to have to leave because his presence is there. And people didn't understand that. And I understand that too. I would have probably been like, what exactly is Jesus talking about? But they have not only been thinking about what he was talking about at the moment. These were people who were looking for the Messiah. So they had a whole list that they made for themselves, thinking about what the Messiah would look like, what he would be like, what he would do. They were looking at the law and all the Old Testament books. And they said, well, this son of man that you're talking about, who is he? And as far as we know, the Messiah has come to stay. He's not going to go. And they're thinking about these kind of earthly terms. They're not thinking about in the spirit, true world, the supernatural. They're just thinking, if you're going to go someplace, then you're not the Messiah. The Messiah said he's going to stay. So Jesus answers this way. This is because he doesn't respond, right? He doesn't say it right away. But I want you to think about, all of a sudden, he starts talking about light. You will have the light with you just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. And then all of a sudden, they said Jesus left and hid himself. So to me, it was kind of like he's telling them that I'm going to leave but know that you're going to have me because he is the light. Jesus himself says, I am the light. And John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is that light. And he's saying, physically, you're going to have me for a little while longer. Walk, believe while you have me here. But I want you to understand something that's really important. The fact that he said, so you may become children of God. Every person who believes in Jesus Christ, who accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, can become a child of light. But being a child of light may be your right. Nonetheless, it's still a choice. You have to choose to be a child of light. And I want to tell you guys a little bit more about that. But I want you to just sit with that for one second. That no matter what right Jesus gives us, we still have to choose to walk in it, to live in it to believe it. So as we unpack this a little bit, I want you to think about this. Our imaginations are often the things that we never use when it comes to reading scripture, but I honestly think that is why God gave it to us. He wants us to see these stories. He wants us to understand this Bible and see it with our eyes. So I want you to imagine this, right? You're in a room. It can be any room that you choose. It could be a room that you know of, a room you don't know of. This room does not have any windows. It can have stuff in it. It could be empty. It's up to you. It's a dark room. And all of a sudden, there's a door in front of it that opens. And then there's light that casts into that room. But you are still standing in the dark. When you're fully in the darkness, 
in your life. And I want you guys to understand this because it's a spiritual term, right? This light and darkness is, is a physical way that scripture describes it. But these are spiritual conditions, light and darkness. It's how we live our lives and the decisions that we make. And so if you close that door, you're in the dark. And there are three things I want to tell you about light and darkness when you read the scripture. So I just want you to stay in that room in the dark for a little while. This is what light offers us when we read scripture. There's principles and promises about light. The first thing it offers us is life. Life. In the book of John, we just read it this morning, verses one through five, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He, meaning Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. That verse, verse four, in him was life. And that life was light to all mankind makes us understand that when we're children of light, the first thing that we get is life. We become alive. And not only that, after light, we get sight. We're able to see. Psalms 119 reminds us and says that your lamp, your word is a lamp to my feet. A light on my path. It teaches us the way, light. In case we're confused, in case we don't know which way we're going, that's what light does. It gives us sight. And not only sight, it gives us power. John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot, has not, overcome it. And that's powerful, because light has the power to cast out darkness. Life, sight, power. Darkness gives this. This might be a little bit more familiar to all of us. I know it is for me. It's death, spiritual death, where you feel dry, when you feel like you're lacking something. All of us have been in that place. I love that Eric said that a little while ago. We all know what that feels like. We can come in here and try to pretend that we don't, but Jesus knows us. He knows our lives. He knows that we suffer. We do ourselves an injustice when we hide that. Jesus already knows. And we know that there are plenty of areas in our lives. There have been times in our lives where we have felt just in a place of darkness. And that has felt just like spiritual death. You don't know how to pray. You don't know how to worship. You don't know how to do any of those things. It also, darkness, makes us blind. It brings blindness. We can't see. Jesus himself said in this passage, whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. They can't see. We become spiritually blind. The things of God all of a sudden do not matter to us. And it doesn't just blind us. We stumble. That's what scripture says. Darkness and stumbling always goes together. Uh, Jesus himself in, in John eleven ten, he says, it is the person who walks at night that stumbles because they don't have light. So we're in this room experiencing darkness, death, blindness, stumbling and all of a sudden the door opens and we see this light and we're going to look at this passage and we're going to take some steps in order to choose to be a child of God the first step that we would have to take is to step away we have to step away from the darkness that's a choice because we can be in the darkness 
and we could not notice what's in front of us. Or we could take a step away into the light. Because every part of our faith takes action. We can't just think about this just in our heads, philosophically or theologically. We have to put it into practice. The very first thing we have to do is take a step. We have to take a step because Jesus himself told us, take a step. Do not love your life. He asks you to hate your life and all the things that it promises to you. So no matter what it is that this world is saying it's going to give you, money, status, power, all the things that the world is promising, Jesus says, hate that stuff. Follow me instead. And the reason Jesus used such strong words like love and hate is because when we hate something, we don't go back to it. If we feel kind of indifferent about it, we'll be right back there. Just like scripture says, a dog returns to its vomit, we'll be right back at that place. We have to hate it. We have to be disgusted by the darkness. If not, we'll find ourselves right back there. So stepping away from darkness, stepping away from our lives. I'm going to give you two examples of people in scripture that loved their life and didn't want to come follow Jesus. The first one is the rich young ruler. Most of you probably have heard of this, about a male who came to Jesus. He was rich and he had money and he asked the question, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus told him, go sell your things, give to the poor and come follow me. And scripture says that he walked away grieving with his head down and he didn't give his life to Jesus to follow. Instead, he went the other way in darkness because he loved his life. He didn't want to give up his money, the things that he had. To him, that was too much to sacrifice. But what Jesus is saying is that if you love your life, then you won't come follow me. If you love the life the way the world promises it, you won't realize that there's something better on the other side. There's one more person that comes to mind. It's Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a part of the group of people that would want Jesus crucified. And he came to see Jesus at night when no one else was there, just so that he could talk to Jesus. But Jesus talked to him and taught him and gave him all this information. And did he go and follow Jesus? No, because he loved his life. He loved being a Pharisee. He didn't see anything wrong with what he was doing. So what he decided to do was go back and not follow. But let me tell you two examples of people who hated their lives. The woman with the issue of blood. She hated her life. She was miserable. She was bleeding for 12 years and doctors could not heal her. So when she saw Jesus walking around amongst a whole bunch of people, she reached out her hand just to touch his cloak because she was tired of her life. She hated it the way it was. And she knew the only way to find light in life was to touch Jesus. And as soon as she didn't even have to touch him, she touched his cloak. And all of a sudden, she received her healing. And Jesus felt the power. And he said, who who touched me? And she said, I did. She spoke bravely. And he said, daughter, because of your faith, you are healed. That's a person who hates their life. They don't like what this world has to offer. They want something better. And two people came to mind. This is the second that came to mind. There's so many other people I could have chose. But pertaining to this scripture, those two Greeks that all of a sudden just wanted to see Jesus. There were so many other religions they could have been believing in. But they came to see Jesus. 
because they were tired of living in darkness. They had been probably thinking about Hellenism and all the things that they learned. And they said, no, we want to know the truth. And we want to hear more about this Messiah, this king. So they came because they were tired of their lives. They didn't care about their reputation. They didn't care about any of that. What they cared was about Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? That they stepped away from their lives. The woman of blood stepped away from her condition. The Greeks stepped away from what they believed to take a step toward Jesus. They had to step away. You have to step away. And the only way for you to do that is for you to realize how damaging the darkness is. If you think the darkness isn't so bad, then sadly, even though you step out into the light, there's something that you can do. You can still close your eyes and ignore everything that's around you. That's why after you step out, the second step is to receive sight. You still have to receive sight because the darkness is comfortable. I know when I first got saved for the first couple of years, I was just playing back and forth in both fields because the darkness was not that bad to me. In fact, it was more comfortable than the light because when I got in the light, I saw myself Think about yourself outside that room again. You're receiving sight. You're looking at yourself in the darkness. You're well-dressed. You look good. You got a nice outfit, your favorite one. But when you get out in the light, you realize you have on sweatpants and and different mismatching socks and you have on a coat in the summer. You're realizing you're not dressed the way that you thought you were dressed. You're not the person that you thought you were. So when we're out here, And God is showing us in the light, look at you. I want to clothe you in righteousness. I want to take away some of those things that you have on your body. And I'm going to give you something new. When we don't want to see that because we're too disgusted by what we are, we close our eyes. We don't even have to go back in the darkness just yet. We close our eyes. This makes me think of Helen Keller. I don't know if anybody heard of Helen Keller. Like she's one of my favorite people in the whole world. She was blind and she was deaf. And the only way that she can see was by feeling the language, the sign language in her hand. She had to feel the letters because she couldn't see them. So her teacher would like put her hand under water. And then in the other hand, she would explain and spell water to her, W-A-T-E-R. And she would feel it and start to make the connection. And that's how she learned to see, by her feelings. And I think we do that when we just close our eyes in the light and we don't receive sight. We just go by our feelings, not the touch, but our emotions. We don't think about what God has to say to us. No, we just do what we feel like because our eyes are closed. Maybe I should go right in my life. Maybe I should go left. I don't know, maybe I should date this person or maybe I shouldn't. We go by the dark and we close our eyes And we just go by our feelings, not by what God says about us, not by what God promises us, but by what we feel. So it's important for us to say, okay, I want to receive sight. I want to see who I am. And also when you get out there, you don't just get to see yourself. You finally get to see other people because when you're in the darkness, all you see is you. Nobody else matters. But all of a sudden when you're in the light, you can't ignore what's happening in Virginia and Charlottesville. Because that affects you. It affects you because it affects Jesus. And the more you're in the light, who are you becoming more like? Jesus. 
So you're in the light and you're seeing these other people and they're around and you're around and it can be so overwhelming, but nonetheless, you still have to choose to see. That's why Jesus says, now my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Save me from this hour? No, Father, glorify your name. So when you're standing out there and you're seeing the trouble and you're seeing the things in yourself that you don't like, you still need to say, Father, glorify your name. We don't close our eyes and pretend they don't exist. We do something about them. That's the power of the gospel. We step away, we receive sight. And the last step is we walk and believe. We walk and believe. Note that I didn't say walk when you're blind. Because what will you do? You'll stumble and you'll make mistakes. And every Christian in their lives, when you feel like you're in a moment of darkness, always close your eyes. That's when scripture is saying to you, just stand, stand, be still and know that I'm God. Because when you're closing your eyes in the darkness, Jesus wants you to be still. Because when you walk in the darkness, you stumble. You can't walk yet. You only can walk when you receive sight. So now that you've received sight, you can walk and believe. John says that Jesus was the light of life. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And even though Jesus was saying, I am the light, walk while you still have me here with you. He was speaking to them physically because they were used to his physical presence. But when Jesus left, there was still a light in the world. And that light was coming in in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came and rested upon this whole earth. So even though he left in physical sense because they were so dependent on his physical sense, do not get him wrong. The light is still in the world. John himself says the light is in the world and it has not overcome it. He was speaking in past tense. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. But not in verse 5. He says, but the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Light is in the world. We have the light because we all have the Holy Spirit. And when we're in that room, right, we're now into the light and we're walking, we have to remember that the guide, the Holy Spirit, that's what he's called, a guide is helping us walk. But we have to do our part and have the faith. And there's nobody better in scripture who did this to me better than Saul. Saul, who will soon be Paul, was walking around, just persecuting Jews. And all of a sudden, he decides to take a trip to Damascus. He's on his way there to persecute more Jews, but all of a sudden, light comes down. He falls down from where he is, and Jesus says, that voice, that light is Jesus. And he's saying, why have you persecuted me? And Saul doesn't know what to do. All of a sudden, he goes blind. He cannot see. And people carry him into Damascus where he waits. Scripture says he doesn't eat and he doesn't drink. He just waits. He waits. He's blind. He's not walking. He's waiting. And all of a sudden, Jesus tells this man, Ananias, I want you to go to this man. His name is Saul. And he's been praying. And I want you to note that's another thing he was doing. He was eating, he was drinking, he was praying. He couldn't see, but he wasn't moving. He just stayed. And Ananias goes to him and he gives him sight. He puts his hands on his eyes and all of a sudden he can see. And what does Paul start doing? He starts walking and believing. He 
he starts preaching the gospel. The next chapter talks about how he's preaching in synagogues about the way. It wasn't called Christianity in the book of Acts in the beginning. It was called the way. Why? Because Jesus was the way, the truth, the life. He was the light of the world. He was pointing them in the right direction. And it was a different way than they were going because it was towards the light and not the darkness. So Paul, because of Paul taking a step away from his old life, he wasn't persecuting the Jews. His passion was working in the reverse. He was killing the people that now he was trying to glorify and build as the body of Christ. Now, all of a sudden, he's there because he stepped away and he received his sight. He started preaching a whole new gospel. It was completely different than anything he's ever said. But because he had sight, he ended up walking and believing. And because he walked and because he believes, now we are here today as the church. Do you see that that's a model for us to follow That we have to step away from the things. In church, this doesn't have to be just a life. Some of us, when we are born again, we walk away from darkness. But this darkness could be just a way of thinking about a group of people, about yourself, about anything that brings you away from the relationship and life that God calls you to. God wants you to be free. God wants you to walk in the light. And that's how we can become children of God. When we accept life, when we accept our sight, and we walk in the power that the Holy Spirit gives us every single day. So the question I have for us before we go into reflection time is where are you in that room? Are you in the dark room still with the door closed? Are you at a point now where you're ready to take a step out Are you at a point where you're finally ready to receive sight, that you're tired of stumbling? Maybe you've been walking around, you thought you were in the light, but you realize now that maybe you've closed your eyes and you're stumbling. Or are you ready to walk and believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, but you're just, you're lacking a little bit of faith? And let me tell you, church, with everything that's going on in the news, the church is not the people that should be lacking faith. We should be the ones. The same way all of a sudden this happened, there's people praying. All of a sudden, the church are first responders. We're supposed to be responding in prayer. We're supposed to be responding in our actions and our deeds. And if we don't allow this stuff to change us and transform us, the world is never going to be the same. Because God still chooses you. He's always going to choose you to make the difference. While you have the light, Walk in the light because I won't be with you. But what does that mean? Now you are the light. So where are you in that scenario? Please allow God to speak to you as we go into a a time of response. I'm just going to pray over this space for us to be open and allow God to speak to us how he feels led to. Please join me in, in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for giving us this this lesson about light and knowing that you are the light and that we have the right to be children of life. Lord, I pray for every single one of us in this room right now that we take a step towards you in faith that we don't hide from you, 
but that we allow you to embrace us because that's what you desperately want to do, Father. You want us to come into this light because when we go to the light, we meet you there. You are the source of every good thing that we will receive. So, Father, I ask that you continue to speak to us in this moment. That you reveal to us the response that we need today, Father. Whether that be through communion, whether it be be through prayer, just worshiping you. Whatever it is, Father, let there be no hindrances. God, you don't need us, but you want us. You want us badly, Lord. And we ask that you just have your way. Because we really do want to be more like you. God, we thank you for this morning and all that you revealed to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.